Good morning. Today's reading is in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. Feel free to read along in a Bible you brought yourself, or one in the pew, or uh, just just be blessed by listening. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil. For the sake of the Son of Man, be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Thank you, Father God, for the promises you have for us in your word. Thank you for encouraging us when following you cost us in this world, both financially, by lost reputation, and by public scorn, by the rejection of family and former friends. Help us to have gratitude for your blessing here on earth and in and our everlasting life that you provide in heaven. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of your word, and the preaching of the same. Thank you for our pastor, Steve, who loves you, who loves your word, and loves us. Please put in his heart and his mind what you would have him teach us this morning and help us to have ears to hear, and to take to heart what Pastor Steve's message. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good to see you all here this Lord's Day. Glad you could be with us this first Sunday of the month. As you might notice, my wife is not here. James flew in from Houston on Tuesday, and and she and him went up to Gainesville, really Newberry, where my son or my, my daughter and son-in-law and new grandbabies at Aurora. So she's there with them and having a great time holding the baby. So anyway, so that's where that's at. But it's, it's good to see you on this day. Indeed, the, the Lord is good. Um, Steve was talking about those scripture songs. And, and I've been singing like those two we just sang for 45 years. And, and as I thought about it, I said, you know, they don't get old. They really, really don't get old. And, so it's, and that's the truth with the music that, that God gives us. Jesus Christ is the most famous teacher this world has ever seen. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was ministering. He was teaching to the crowds. About three years, disciples, primarily in the nation of Israel. And most everybody thought of him, thought of him as this great teacher. And indeed, he was a great teacher. And his teaching was the teaching of God himself. And that's because God, his father, really taught him everything that he was to say. And his teaching was clear. 
It was powerful. It was true. And it was life-changing. That's what everybody, everybody, I mean, everybody needed to hear and everybody needed to believe and obey, even though only a small number did. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a teaching Jesus gave. He was on this hillside uh, by Galilee there, Sea of Galilee. And, uh, but I want you to go to Matthew 5, 1 to 12. This is called the Beatitudes. And, and I, I don't believe that I've ever taught on this. And I felt, you know, I need to teach on it. And the first time you think, um, well, I'll just do one message. <laughs> and I'm, I've got three messages now, and I'll probably have a couple more. It's so, so important. But I want to read through these first 12 verses. Then we're going to go verse by verse over the next, what, four or five weeks or so. Verse 1, Matthew 5, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up in the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This indeed is called the Beatitudes. I want to make some summary statements about this, and today we'll be looking at the first two Beatitudes there. Where Beatitudes just means blessing, being happy, being fortunate, being blissful. Secondly, these blessings are primarily spiritual, but some are physical in nature as well. Of course, we know that the world, they look for physical blessings. That's what they desire. That's what they go after. And of course, as Christians, our primary desire should be focusing and wanting spiritual blessings. That great verse, Ephesians 1-3, Blessed be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So to think about that as believers right now, you have all that you need. And, of course, these blessings will even increase and, and, and more so as we are in heaven with the Lord someday. These blessings, of course, are not from man, but only from God, for only God can really give you these blessings, blessings that are heavenly, blessings that are spiritual in nature. These blessings are personal in nature. It's not a collective thing, okay? It's personal. It's personal. That is, God wants to personally, individually bless you as you carry out the condition that's met in each one of these Beatitudes. That leads to the next point. Each of these blessings is conditional. It's not an unconditional blessing. It's conditional, and it's based on the, the condition that's stated in that particular beatitude. Like, for example, blessed are those who mourn. We'll talk about it today, for they shall be comforted. The condition is mourning, and the actual specific blessing is being comforted. We see that with each one. Next, God really wants to bless you. He knows that all of us, before we're saved, are under the curse of sin. He wants to, by his grace and mercy, save us from that curse, and then he wants to bless us this time for this life and then forever and ever and ever. The basis for these, for the means for these blessings is, is God's Son, Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ he died to make payment for our sins, and then he was raised from the dead, and it's through him, that we, through him then that we can know and experience these blessings. He's, he's the basic reason. So let's go here to Matthew 5. Verse 3, we'll again look at verses 3 and 4 today. That's the plan. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The condition is being poor in spirit, and the blessing is being in the kingdom of heaven. Let's talk about being poor in spirit. All of you understand a person who's physically poor is one who may not have much money. Financially, he's hurting. He may be one who just doesn't have much food. Uh, all of you have seen poor people are on the streets. You know, they're maybe destitute, maybe homeless because they're just poor, okay? In a similar way, we're talking about being poor in spirit, about being spiritually poor, about spiritual poverty. And I want you to think of that contrast. Here's this person on the street who is really poor, really hurting, really in need, and now a person here who's spiritually one who is poor. That's, that's what we're talking. A person like this is spiritually needy. He's spiritually in debt. He's spiritually bankrupt. And because of his sin, he's spiritually lost, and he's apart from God. And he cannot then experience the blessings of God, but rather the curses of sin. That's what we're talking about here. The person described in these verses is one who, if he really is poor in spirit, that means he knows his spiritual condition. He knows that he's poor. He knows that he's spiritually empty. He knows that he's spiritually lost. He knows that he's spiritually apart from God. And he knows that he can't help himself. He comes to that realization. Poor people on the street, they're looking for some kind of outside help. They want a handout. You know what I'm saying? So, too, ones who are spiritually poor realize they need a handout. They need help. They are desperate for help. A person who's poor in spirit comes to the end of his ropes. That's what we're saying. They're not, oh, yeah, I sort of need help. No, you really need help. A person poor in spirit is one who really knows he needs help. He needs God's help. We've all seen people begging for food. And ones who, I say truly begging, because some people out there that are begging really don't need the food. But true beggars, they're hungry, and they know that if they don't get the food, they're not going to make it. They're not going to live. Okay, that's the point. We understand that. Again, the idea here is that God wants people, spiritually speaking, to be ones who are spiritually begging, spiritually desperate for help. That's the idea of this poor in spirit. It's a real desperation. The person that knows he's spiritually dead, he knows that he has no spiritual life, and only by the grace of God then can he be saved, can he receive the mercy of God, can he receive this life and be then not poor but rich. And when I would say poor and rich, just to illustrate this point, you can talk about a person that all the money, he has no money. In fact, let's say he's $20 in debt, okay? He's poor, but not real poor, but that's all, he's no money, he's 20 in debt. Now let's say somebody gives him, a, you know, two twenties. he's got 20 in the good, Okay, but you wouldn't say he's rich, would he? Would you? What we're talking about today, the analogy, is a person who's really poor, billions, financially speaking, billions of dollars in debt, and now all of a sudden he's billions of dollars in the good. That's the kind of extremes we're talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A person who's poor in spirit, really a synonym for this word poor in spirit, is the word humble. Humble people, that you can put that right in there and it fits. He, he's, he's, he's one who's looking to God, and because he's humble, then he recognizes spiritual need, his spiritual poverty, and he knows that only God can save him, only God can give him life. Only God, then, can be one who makes him rich. And, and, and so what we see is that God not only then takes away his debt, takes away his spiritual poverty, but he gives him life, and he makes him rich, and he becomes a member of the kingdom of heaven. It's important to see. He becomes a member of the kingdom of heaven so that he's not anymore because Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14 makes it very clear that unbelievers are ones who are members of the domain of darkness. That's the devil's kingdom. 
and a person that is transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God upon salvation. That's one of the great immediate blessings upon salvation when you're born again. In the kingdom of heaven, no longer a child of the devil. Both 1 John 3 and John 8 make it clear that unbelievers are children of the devil. We don't usually think about that as the fact. A person is either a child of the devil or a child of God. A person gets saved, becomes a child of God. He becomes then one who is rich, one then who is a member of the kingdom of heaven. And that means then, really, one way to say this is God then has rule over his life. We talk about Jesus being our Savior, but also our Lord. He is Lord over us. We are in the sphere then, as members of the kingdom of heaven, of his dominion. So what we're talking about here, again, please understand, becoming a member of the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual dynamic. So as a believer right now, you are a member of the kingdom of heaven. And someday, and I like what Hebrews, we're not going to look at here, 12, 22 to 24, talks about actually being in heaven, what it looks like a little bit. And then Revelation chapter 21 talks a lot more about that. But the point is, upon salvation, you become a member of the kingdom of heaven in a spiritual sense. And then someday you'll leave this place and you go to the actual physical heaven. We talk about salvation, and somewhat tritely so, oh yeah, I got saved and I'm going to heaven. Well, they should understand that they're members of the kingdom of heaven when they get saved. And they'll actually be going to physical heaven in the future. That's a, that's a better way, really, to understand that and look at that. And so this helps us then to see what a, a lost person needs to do to be saved. He, he, he needs then to see that uh, he's poor in spirit. That is, he needs to be humble. That is, he needs to admit his sin and his need for the help of God. And know that it's only by the work of Christ on the cross and by the work of the Spirit in his heart that he then can be saved and become a member of the kingdom of God. But this verse here relates to Christians too. And some of these verses are like that. You could say, well, it relates to Christians. This relates to unbelievers. It does. That is, God wants us to be poor in spirit. Okay, Not that we're going to re-enter the kingdom of heaven, not in that sense, but to really live and be what God wants. We need to be poor in spirit. I think of John 15, 5. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I love that verse. It's put me in my place for about 45, 50 years, thinking about it that long. So many times that verse rings in my mind. Steve, you know, I get sort of stuck sometimes or things are sort of hard. He says, Steve, apart from me, you can't do a thing. So, okay, okay, I give up. You're right. You know, for the thousandth time I've heard him say that or whatever, and it's true. We need the Lord to spiritually do anything at all for God. We need him. And particularly, we need the Spirit of God. That is, we need to be led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit. We need to be walking by the Spirit. We need to be empowered by the Spirit, comforted by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit. All these things, the Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift, is a wonderful person that God gives and actually places, uh, places inside us. And so that's so important. So all we're saying here, and, I, and we're finishing right here on this one, is that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So remember that. That's what God wants for you. So we continue on to Matthew 5 here, verse 4. And I'm going to spend more time on this second one here because I think it's more important for where we're at in our lives today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, the first thing I want to say here, it doesn't say it in the context, but the idea of mourning, and you can look at many of the verses that talk about this, and we'll look at some, is we're talking about mourning over sin. That's, that, that's what we're saying here. Now, let me first talk about sin, because we need to understand that, and then we'll talk about the mourning, then talk about the being comforted. Sin can be defined as forsaking and rejecting God, and then going after evil and fleshly and worthless and worldly things. So there's a two-part dimension to sin. 
I always remember that. And it's Jeremiah 2 that I, be, I believe best explains this, this dynamic of sin. It says in Jeremiah 2, 4, What injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and then walked after emptiness and became empty? So do you see that two-part? They, they left me. They went far from me. Then they walked after other things. The two parts. Jeremiah 2.15, similar thought. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. Sin, then, is rejecting God. It's going after evil and worthless things. And Romans 1, I'm not going to read that. Well, I'll just read a verse here, but you can look at the 120 to 23 section. It says the same thought. But this one verse here says they exchanged the glory that is unbelievers exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of corruptible man and birds and animals and crawling creatures. So this exchange, you see it all the time. You just look at the world and see what people love, not loving God. They love all these other things. Here we talk about animals. And I heard this little study about, must have been two, three months ago. But they, they asked people who had animals in their house, you know, animal you know, own animals, which is a fine thing to do. It's all right. So, so the one question is, is this animal, cat, dog, whatever, is it a member of your family? And 95% said, yeah, this animal, cat, dog, whatever, is a member of the family. Then the second question, well, are they just as important as the members of your family? That is the people in the house, the children or whoever, the wife or husband. 50% said just as important. I thought, Whoa, that proves this verse right here, okay? That just one Example. There's hundreds I could give you that one example of how people love their animals just as much as they love their other people and sometimes more. I mean, you know this. You've seen this more and more where people in our country, you know, they, uh, you know, they may get married, they may not get married, and the first thing they do is get an animal, right? A nice dog or a nice cat, you know, and then they might have children later, but we, we see that. And so, so, so then, rejecting God and forsaking God is the root sin, and going after idols and emptiness and worthless things then are the branches, the specific sins that grow from this root sin. That's what we're talking about. I mean, very simple, very basic. And there's many passages. I've talked about these before. We've looked at some. I want to read one more here. Many passages that just list out the sins. And it's important that we look at these. I want to look at the one in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 4, which we've read before, but it's so, I think it's so good it, it relates to us and our lives and our country, our culture. Second Timothy 3, 1, realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sums it up, doesn't it? About as good as any. That covers a lot of ground. Not all the sins, but a lot of the, lot of the major ones here. And again, there's other lists of sins, Mark 7, 21 to 23, Romans 1, 20 to the end of the chapter's got a good list. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 is a good list. And again, they're good to read. The other thing that's good to read is the prophets. I love reading the prophets because the prophets help me understand what's going on in my life and your lives and all over the world today. And so read the prophets. 
and a lot of the prophets, you can see they're excellent writers. And there's, there's a lot of alliteration and metaphors and pictures of speech, you know, describing sin. And you just read them. I mean, just prophet after prophets talking about this sin, some more than others. And so I would recommend that as part of what God would want you to read as well. Now, the real and root problems then in our country or in our world then, the real and root problem is not the wars. It's not the climate, it's not the crime, it's not the police, it's not the government, it's not the economy, it's not education. For example, we have the government. I just saw this this morning in the news. There's a lady over in the UK and she is out in front of an abortion center and she was quietly standing there. So that policeman comes up and says, what are you doing? She says, I'm praying. Well, you can't do that. So, so here it is, it's, it's really, a, it's a thought crime. She wasn't out loud, she didn't have any signs, she was just silently there praying for this abortion. Well, you can't stand here in this place and do that. So she got arrested, okay? She says, man, the government's, and that happens in this country too. You've heard of that, I'm sure. Point is, oh, the government, that's the problem. The government's a problem. Well, some. And their example, of course, the economy, and I've shared about this, but this, this one stat, it just, you can't believe, well, there's a lot of numbers. I, I like numbers, of course, but is two point, or two, excuse me, two billion dollars a day is how much we spend on interest alone. Two billion a day. I mean, and, and we're $33.6 trillion in debt. Our debt every year, what debt this year is like $679 billion. It increased 150 over last year. And it's going out of control. The economy's got problems. It's, it's really bad. Schools. This, this shocked me. This is, I'm not sure if it was yesterday morning or, or Friday morning. Every morning I, <laughs> I, I read the word, but every morning I get my little dose of the news for the day, okay? That's what I do. I want to know what's going on. So this is what I heard, and I was shocked. Here's a lady. She was in, in some school board meeting. And she was from Hillsborough County. Well, that's where I live. Wow, Hillsborough County. And she was testifying before the school board about the bad books, the sexually explicit books in one of the big, big and well-known high schools in this town. I'll say it's in the south side of town, in the rich part of town. That's where it's at in Tampa. These bad books, she had to pull her kid out of school, and she started reading stuff, and then she showed this picture, and the policeman got her out of this. You can't show that here. I mean, it's sick. I says, and then, uh, when, then she said, there's hundreds of books like this in that school. I says, hundreds? I mean, it's just, it's just sexually perverted material that these high school kids can read. And sometimes they're suggested as part of a class. So, wow. Well, okay. Okay. That's, schools are a problem. The economy's a problem. The government's a problem. It's a problem. But we've got to come back to sin. Sin is the root problem. That's what it is. Sin is always go back, okay? There's sin. That's why that stuff's going on in Hillsborough County. That's why you got the economic problem. It's the root problem, and it results in death. That's why it's so important. It results in spiritual death. It results in physical death, and if unchecked, it is not taken care of by Christ, and it results in eternal death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 8, 4, 18, 4 says the soul that sins will die. Ephesians 2, 1 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so it says death. And in some ways, I thought about this a little bit. I think in our culture more and more, uh, death is not a big thing. It should be a huge thing. Huge. You know, we use the word he passes away. Eh, it's too light. person passes away. I, saw, I was reading Psalm 90, and I like this one phrase that talked about death, and it, and it said they flew away. And I think, the way I look at it, for your believer, you flew away. You got out of here. Your spirit, soul went to heaven. But the unbeliever, he perishes. 
which John 3.16 verse, you know the verse, Jesus says you perish if you don't believe in me. And perish really means destruction. That person is, you know, I mean, I, I, well, let me say it this way, and you'd probably never say that. Oh, yeah, that person just went to hell the other day. That is to say you know that that person is unsaved. But you don't say that in our culture. You don't do that. But that's how we should think that person either went to heaven or went to hell. Marsha and I, we you hear about some celebrity dying, and we wonder, well, that person go to heaven or go to hell. We just, you know, you wonder. We think about this. Then just pass away. Their spirit went one place, one or the other. That is indeed what took place. And so sin then is like a disease. You all understand cancer. You hear the word cancer. That person's got cancer. Whoa, that person's got cancer. Of course, some cancers aren't that bad. You understand that. Skin cancers, it can be pretty minor and other cancers, but some are major and kill you. You understand. You all know this, and cancer can spread. So it can be like a cancer that kills. It's like weeds that, if left unchecked, can ruin your yard. I, I have a weed whacker, but I don't really use it. I like to pull weeds with my hands. So I was pulling weeds yesterday afternoon about 5.30 or so. I don't like weeds, Okay. If left unchecked, they ruin your garden, ruin your yard. Sin is like a poison, you know, a poison that can kill. You don't want to swallow the poison. The whole point is this, is you want to get rid of a bad disease like cancer. You want to get rid of the weeds. You want to get rid of the, uh, of the poison. That's what you want to do. So, too, a person more than anything else, far more than anything else, should want to get rid of his sin, okay? That's what we're talking about here. And if sin isn't dealt with, if a person doesn't repent of his sins, during his life, and we believe in Christ during his life on this earth, then he, he then will be spiritually dead, eternally dead, apart from God forever and ever, in a place called hell. And hell, of course, is real. It's a permanent place of pain and punishment. Turn to Matthew 25. Some verses you'll hear me say again, and I, I say them again because I repeat them so that you remember them, but these are my best go-to verses on hell, and they're in the same chapter. Um, Jesus, of course, you might have heard this talk more about hell than anything else. Matthew 25, verses 41 and then 46. Then Jesus will also say to those in the left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So it's very clear. It's eternal fire. And there's other verses that say, same thing. Verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. A person then, after he dies, is going into a place of eternal life or a place of eternal punishment, one or the other. Eternal fire then, putting the two verses together, is a place of eternal punishment. That is what it is. And so, subject of sin then is relevant. And, and, and in this context, it's, it's relevant for both believers and unbelievers. It's relevant for believers because, as you know, the specifics about sin, you're going through life and some sin the Spirit convicts you about, then you can repent of it. You can mourn over it. You can get victory over it. You can grow. So it's, it's relevant from, from that, that point of view. For the unbeliever, it's like the unbeliever's got to know what his problem. He has to know that he's sinful. He's got to know, and specific sins can help him see this because when a person gets saved, it's not like he thinks of the hundred different sins he committed on his life. He, 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 there might be two or three or four that the Spirit convicts him of that leads him then to repent of a sin and get right with God, put his trust in Christ. And so it, it's, it's, it's valid then, it's important then for both the unbeliever and the believer. Now this word mourn means to lament. It means to grieve. It means to be sad. 
And there are nine, actually nine different Greek words for mourn, and this one is the strongest one, the deepest, most heart, uh, it's the deepest, most heartfelt grief of all of them. And, and it's oftentimes used when speaking about a person who is grieving over the death of a loved one. A particular example, Mark 16, 10, disciples were grieving because Jesus had just been crucified and just had died. So that, that's what, it's grief. It's, it's really strong grieving. James 4, 8, 9, and there's many verses on this subject of mourning. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, be miserable and mourn and weep. That's what it says there. True mourning, then, isn't looking at self. It's not, woe is me. It's not a pity party. You got that? You recognize your sin, but you're not just wrapped up, focused on yourself. You're not doing that. True mourning, then, sees your sin, but then focuses on God and admits that he has sinned against the holy and righteous God and then is truly and genuinely sorry that he has sinned against the God who made him, the God who loves him, the God who wants to forgive him of his sins. So see, understand that. It's recognizing the sin. It's admitting the sin. And then be truly and genuinely sorry for your sin. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. You know the story, I believe, of Isaiah there before the Lord. He sees the Lord holy, seated on his throne. Isaiah 6, and look at verses 5 and 6. And he just saw the holy God. He thought of his sin. That's what happened. He saw God. He saw his sin. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hands, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Good picture. I mean, again, one example of a person who mourned. It was Isaiah here. He mourned over sin, and indeed, the Lord saved him. Mourning, then, is a sin of repentance. And to be saved... And we don't always hear this. We oftentimes in our culture focus on the word believe and sometimes don't focus on repentance. We understand the gospel of John is a gospel that focuses on the word believe more. The gospel of Luke focuses more on the repentance. But the point is they're both important. Repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and turn to Christ. Put your trust in him. The point is that mourners are forgiven and receive eternal life. If you don't mourn, if you don't grieve, if you don't repent, you're not going to believe in Christ. You're not going to see your need for Christ. So that's important. This repenting then is, is mourning, is, is in, as I said before, important for the Christian uh, to get victory over sin. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, um, then God is righteous uh, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. And so that's in the context of a person who's a Christian. What's the result of mourning? We're not spending a long time in this whole point, but that we see it's comfort. It's true comfort and for, for the think about this for the unbeliever it should be the one who's an unbeliever and then he gets saved he's greatly comforted because he sees the mass of his sin of the entirety of his life and he might think about the future because forgiveness means you're forgiven the past present and future but he he's thinking wow all these sins are gone so it might be just a great great relief and a great great comfort he might be extremely spiritually happy and filled with joy and peace and that's that's a good thing and for the believer, it might not be quite as dramatic because you've been saved for a number of years and you've sinned and you confess it and you mourn, and, but you're still comforted because God wants to comfort us as we then mourn over our sins as we go to him. 
want you to turn in, in um, Psalm, Psalm 51, example of, of David here. Story relates to Bathsheba, and he had sinned against God and sinned that in that way. But verses 7 through 12 are, are really encouraging about the, the result, the effect. We talk about comforting. We're expanding that a little bit with these verses here. Psalm 51, verse 7, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. And there's four things I think of in those verses. What? A clean heart, verse 10, a steadfast spirit, verse 10, then to verse 12, the joy of your salvation and a willing spirit, all related to hey, understanding that we're forgiven. You're charged up. It's a spiritual charging of your soul, of your spirit, then, as you then confess your sin. People who are, who are Christians and in sin, <laughs> their battery's really worn down, not doing good, okay? But this confession of sin, this mourning over sin, is very, very helpful and necessary, then, to be ones who are charged up living rightly for God. Now, what's the main problem in our country? Good, you guys got it. That's okay. It's really important. Okay. So what's the main need in our country? That's it. That's the message. Okay. We're going, we're shifting a little bit here from personal to what's going on in the country and the world. Okay. And I think it's important that we do that at this time to understand this. So Main problem in our country is sin. The main need of our country is repentance of our sin and then looking to God, okay? That's what it is. People need to recognize their sin and mourn over it and then repent of it. And the worsening economy and the wars, all the crime you see, the border problem, tariffs coming across the border. You probably heard this last week, maybe more than anything in the last few years. Hey, they're going to do some kind of bad thing again in our country. They very well could be. I mean, you got, you got 250,000 people a month crossing the border. You got 2.5 million a year crossing the border. Could be close to 6 million in the first three years of Biden's presidency. This is, this is, this is a, I believe, personally, if we're talking about politically asking what's going on, worst problem. Not Israel. It's not Ukraine. Not the schools. It's the border. I, I have never seen anything like this where we are being overrun by people. 160 countries, they say. I mean, 33,000 Russians came in, um, was it last this past year? We go over there to Ukraine to fight against the Russians. Oh, we've got to defeat Putin and the Russians. Well, how about the 33,000 that crossed their own border? You see, that, that, I'm getting a little political here, but that's how I think. We've got problems, and God is judging us. And it's, it's our drugs, it's our drag shows, it's all this stuff. They're all judgments on us because of our sin. And, and let me say something. You, you, you never hear this, and I've heard no one say this at all in the last four weeks relative to Israel. You know why Hamas attacked him? You know why? Don't think politically. Think spiritually. Think this message. Why did God allow Hamas to attack Israel? Because of Israel's sin. That's why. They're very much like our country in terms of the sin. But they're, they're quite an immoral country, quite a sinful country. There is no doubt. There's other reasons politically, but that is the reason spiritually, and we don't see that. You pray for Israel, pray they repent of their sins. That's what you need to do. That's the problem. 
And I, I'm one, of course, that believes that God's got a future for Israel. We can talk about that more later. But things are going to be really rough for Israel. We haven't seen the end of it for them, okay, in terms of them getting pretty beat up because of their sin. We continue. The people in this country, most people in this country don't love God, okay? I'm making a generalization. I say most, I mean, you know, we're talking more than 50%. It's probably closer to the 70, 80, 90%. Don't love God, okay? They don't. They love their food. They love their games. They love their sports. They love their music. They love their money. They love their movies. They love their sexual sins. You think about a person, what's the person do on the weekend here in the United States, the average unbeliever? Well, probably includes some of those things right there. Movies and music and fun and sin and stuff like that, okay? point is people need to repent over their sins. And I'm talking collectively as a country now. We need to repent over our sins before it's too late. Some people already believe it's too late, okay? Now let me, let me illustrate this just with my hand up here. I'm convinced that we as a country are being judged, that we've been going downhill, and it's been obvious the last few years. We are going down, right? There's no doubt. The only, and what I've seen the last few years is, is I thought it used to be like this, and that the last couple of years, whoa, it's going like this. And the only question is, is what is the rate at which it goes down? Is it going to go more down like this in the future, or is it going to maybe level out? I don't know. I don't know. It's really bad. Now, my prayer, I'm going to say one thing to pray for, then give a really encouraging example that you might have heard about. Is Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, the end of the last phrase in that little verse there says, In wrath remember mercy. So my one prayer to God when I think about what's going on in people's lives in this country, around the world, is God, I know you're judging us. I know we're going down, but can you have a little mercy on us? Can you do this? We're going down, a little leveling here. And then after that, more. Okay? I, I know in general we're going. That's it. That's 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 true. But God, can you have a little, little mercy? And what happened oh, 10 days ago was really mercy. I, I, unbelievable. I, I can't think that any Christian would disagree with me. But the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, new speaker, is a born-again Christian. I, I talked about this last week, I think. I mean, he goes up to the pulpit there in the Congress. He's got his Bible. It's a worn-out Bible. And he talks about how God raised me up. He's talking about the sovereignty of God. God raised you guys up. He's head out there, in the, out there sitting in the chairs. I mean, amazing. I heard two interviews with him. I mean, his bib, he says, you don't want to know what I believe. You look at the Bible. Read the Bible. That tells you my worldview. I mean, gutsy, courageous. And then last week, I just, I just read this yesterday. You know, his, his, one of his, his favorite chapter in the Bible, it's one of my favorites too, Old Testament, it's in the Psalms. Psalm 37 is about the righteous and the wicked and how the righteous need it. He, he quoted, trust and do good, for in due time, God will take care of the unrighteous. That's how he thinks. It's God. This is blessing. This is mercy. Now, we need to pray for people like that. I mean, I've never seen a Christian take a stand ever in my life. I've been following politics for 45 years now. Ever seen anybody take a stand like that publicly in, in, in a congressional office or anything political? It's just very, very positive. So pray. And as Christians then, personally and collectively, we need to be holy as you know, there are so many fun things to do, so many silly, silly and frivolous things to see on TV and on your smartphones. I mean, sometimes I'll see some younger person and they're flipping through some fun. Th I mean, there's just tons of silly and frivolous and nonsensical stuff on those phones and on those TVs. And you know what I'm talking about here. And we need to be careful what we watch. We need to be careful what we listen to. We need to be careful what we do. 
we need to be careful then how we spend our time. As Christians, we don't want to be ones who are loving pleasure. Rather, we need to be ones who are loving God. I want to go back to Luke chapter 6, because there's a couple sections in the Bible that I believe describe our country. 2 Timothy 3 is pretty good, those first few verses. But I'm going to go back to Luke 6, which Jeff read earlier, and those three verses, 24 to 26... And I've, I've shared this, but, but again, I want to repeat it so you, you get it in your mind. 24, and again to the 26, this, this really describes our country. Four points. Woe to you who are rich for receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Four things, and I'll give you four words to sum it up. Those who look for fortune, those who look for food, those who look for fun, those who look for fame. That's it. Fortune, food, fun, and fame, and that really describes the people in our country. Some it's one, some it's more than that. These verses, Psalm 101, I, my, I go through the Psalms on a regular reading basis. This was yesterday, Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. I will walk in my house with blameless heart, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Now that's the kind of verse you probably should have on your wall, really big print. Maybe in your living room. Maybe right next to your TV, in fact, you know, or your computer. That would be a good verse, right? That, that's, that's what we need to hear. This is the truth. This is what God wants for us, okay? The need in our lives, in our churches, in our countries is not for more laughing, but for more mourning. You've probably heard that phrase, laughter is the best medicine. I was looking up online this morning. And you know, medicinally, laughter is good for your body physically, and it's also good mentally. It's good, but it's not what's most important. What's most important is mourning. That's what it is. More than anything else, I think my opinion, my strong belief, and I said this before, the greatest need in our country collectively as a whole is that we repent of our sins, we mourn of our sins, and look to God. That's it. That's it. In fact, I was listening to a guy, uh, radio show guy, you probably heard his name, I'm not going to say his name, but, but he actually said this this last week. He was talking about the problems in our world, and he says, you know, people need to be humble. People need to turn back to God. And he was right. I mean, I was really quite shocked to hear some radio person say that, but he was, he was definitely right, okay? The true Christian is sober, and he's sober-minded, and he mourns. Now, you never... I mean, you never, in the Bible, see Jesus laughing, do you? That doesn't mean he didn't laugh. What's it say? Jesus was a man of sorrows. And that's instructive, and that's there for a reason, because what God is saying, the greatest need in your life is not to laugh, but to mourn. Because what's the greatest problem in our world is the sin of people. It's a sin. It affects their souls and can take them to hell for all eternity. So if we see that's the greatest problem that affects the vast majority of people, then we should be mourning over it for our own life, but also mourning for their lives as well. That's what we should do. That's, that's what God wants us to know. Jesus, indeed, he, was, he mourned a lot. I mean, I, I, would, I would love to see what he looked like back then. Because, again, I, again I'm not saying he didn't smile, he didn't laugh, but, but he was a mourning person. He was a grieving person. We go to Luke chapter 19, and he's talking about Israel, the future of Israel, and he, one of the few places says he wept. He looked over the city, he wept, because he knew their problem was sin. He knew that he was the answer. He knew the people rejected him. And so, 
Might we then imitate Christ in this way? Might we be like him and that we are ones then who are mourning over our sin and the sin of others? A couple passages turn to Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah 22. And, and, the, and the prophets cover a lot of this, talking about this mourning in different ways, different angles, different perspectives. But Isaiah 22 sums it up here very well, verses um, 12 to 13. Therefore, in that day, the Lord God, Lord God of hosts, called you to weeping, to wailing, to shaving the head, and to wearing sackcloth. Instead, there is gaiety and gladness, killing of cattle and slaughtering of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Hey, let's have a good time. Let's party. Let's have fun. That's, that's what he's saying. Another verse I want to go to is Amos 6. I believe I've referenced these before. But in this context, these are so important. I really believe these are about as, as relevant. Um, okay. I know when I talk to Altman, he can tell me the order that they're in. I have a hard time finding the order of the Old Testament prophets sometimes, but they're here. Oh, where is it? Where is Amos? There it is. Okay, Amos 6. Okay, look at this. Verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria and the distinguished men of the foremost of nations to whom the house of, com- house of Israel comes. We can say that's true for a lot of people in the world, in our country. They want to be at ease, and I'm not saying it's not wrong to feel at ease, but that's their goal. I want to be, take it easy. I just, hey, just hey, feel secure. Then you go to verse, and this is so eye-opening. These people here talk about verse 4. Here's their problem. Those who recline on beds of ivory, sprawl on their couches, eat lambs from the flock, and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp, and like David have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils. You see what it says? They got their beds, they got their couches, they got their homes, they got their food, they got their wine, they got their music, they got their lotions, they got their, you know, hair gels and oils and soaps and all this other stuff. What's the problem? Verse 6. Yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They've not grieved. Oh, they got everything else. This, this shares our problem as a country as much as anything right here. People like this, but they're not grieving. So pray for yourself and pray for the country that we'd be grieving and repenting. That's what we need to do. You know the Second Chronicles 7.14. First, if my people would humble themselves, repent, I would take care of their lives. I would fix them up. Okay? But... We're sure not there right now. That is, that is definitely the truth. They aren't grieving over their sin, these people, not grieving over the sins of others, and therefore they are apart from God. Their lives are being ruined, spiritually speaking, and bottom line, most importantly so, they're not giving glory to God. You don't give glory to God when you are in sin. Ezekiel 9, which I'm not going to look at here, but you should read it sometime for yourself. I'm going to sum it up very quick. It's probably one of the best chapters. There's, well, three, there's many chapters, but, and we'll look at one more later. Ezekiel 9 talks about uh, the sin, uh, this, this city, this area is filled with sinners. And so what God does, he speaks to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, I want you to get six people out there. 
And the job of these six people is to go out and kill everybody in the city that's sinning and aren't mourning. That's what he says. And you know what? Those six did it. They did it. You see the problem? The city, having a good old time, God selects six people, you go take care of them, and they kill them. Wow, that's whew, strong. So we might we take Matthew 5, 3 to heart. Might we be ones who mourn over our sin, and that God will comfort us. That's what he will do. But I want to finish with one more section, maybe not the best. It's, it's, it's really good. It's Daniel chapter 9, if you want to listen or just read along. Daniel 9, and the story is, Daniel, as you know, was in exile. He had been in Jerusalem, but he got exiled out when he was a teenager and went over there to Babylon and a sharp young man and raised up and helped assist with the kings, four different kings he worked with there, second in line, really. But, but Jeremiah 29 talks about how 70 years are designated for this time period, and Daniel, having this scroll, realized, hey, this 70 years is about up. So I'm going to pray, because God said, Jeremiah 29, man, I'm, I'm going to send you back after 70 years is up. 70 years of exile, you get to go back, okay? So this is what he says. This is, this is really, I can't, I can't say it's encouraging. It's just strong exhortation to us. I'm going to read a number of verses here. Verse 3, I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O the Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, for we've sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled, ruled us, to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there's not been done anything like what has done to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned. We've been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of all our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our Lord, listen to the prayer of our, your servant and to his supplications and 
For your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my Lord, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this exhortation to us to be ones who are holy. All of us here, even this is an important, even for this day, Lord, we have time in communion to remember, Lord, that you have, Lord Jesus, died for us and paid for our sins and want us to be a holy people. You say, be holy for I am holy. And so I pray, Lord, that our souls be instructed this day to be ones who are holy, ones who are loving you and living for you. Lord, we pray for our families. We pray for our city. Hillsborough County, which I heard about the other day, Lord, I pray for our country and the whole world. People in Israel, Lord, and Ukraine and other places, God, they'd be ones who repent. We ask you this, Father, please, please have mercy. But Lord, help us to be, if we're not there yet, if we've not seen our sin and not grieved over our sin and not mourned over it, maybe as it says here, in sackcloth and ashes, Maybe we ought to do some of that. I know, Lord, we think of any really, really major revival that ever takes place in any place around the world. It always is always preceded by this. There's got to be this mourning, this repentance, this turning from sin and turning to you. So, God, if you want to do that to any degree in, in our lives, in our city, in our church here, in our country, then, God, move in our hearts. We know all this, God, is the work of the Spirit. It's not us trying to gut it up. We can't do this in our own strength. It's your Holy Spirit moving and, and, and working. And so we pray for this, God, that you would work. Our country is going downhill bad, really bad. <laughs> Barely said anything about it, and it's really sick. In our lives, Lord, we want to be right with you. We want to be lights to the world. So help us, God, to be a light to our neighbors, a light to the lost, a light to the people, because that's what we should do. We see things going away, stray. Help us then to be living the life you want us to live. But thank you again for each one here. Pray that you'd help us to be strong in you. Pray for Bethel. You speak. Help them to be loving you and trust you. Be holy people as well. Lord, that we'd be ones who love you and love your word and hate sin. God, do that. But thank you again for this, this church here. Thank you now for our time together in, in communion. Just commit all this to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.